in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Let's pray. We pray to you the Word. God, as we have been able to worship you through this hour, I pray that that worship would continue as we simply look at the one we have come to worship this morning because that's what matters. And so, Father, I, I just pray you through your, you speak through the weakness of what I attempt to say and infuse that with your spirit that we may hear from you and that we may simply hear what you have to say and, and respond. We love you, Lord, and we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've told you guys before, one of the preachers I've listened to for years, man, he's getting up there, and he's, uh, but he's still preaching. As a matter of fact, he's working on New Testament commentaries, a guy. Um, by the name of Chuck Swindoll. Uh, Cindy and I used to listen to him so much we would call him Uncle Chuck. <laughs> but anyway, um, Uncle Chuck has actually, of course, done a commentary on the book of John. And in that commentary on this passage of Scripture, he actually shares a story about an English teacher who lived around Boston. His name was Thire Warshaw. Thayer was disheartened that, in his eyes, so many of his students literally were illiterate when it came to the Bible. They just didn't know anything about the Bible. He wanted to test um, his theory by offering them a quiz that should have been simple uh, for someone who's familiar with the Bible. And, and so he came up with this quiz and he shared it. And I want to share it with you Bible scholars this morning, and uh, let's see how we do uh, this first part of the quiz. I'm going to read a sentence without the last word and see if you guys can supply me with the last word. You ready? Many are called, but few are chosen. On that test, 79% of the students didn't get the word. Next one. The truth shall make you, 84% of the students didn't know that answer. Here's another one. Pride goes before a, yeah, this one, 88% of the students were not able to finish the sentence. One more. The love of money is a root of all kinds of, man, that, that came out, 93%. Couldn't fill in that blank. The, his quiz also had mis matching questions and answers regarding Bible characters and a definition of who they were. So um, these got kind of mixed up, um, and I'm going to share some of the answers that came <laughs> out of there trying to match the character with the description. Sodom and Gomorrah were a married couple. Adam, 
Adam and Eve. Eve was created from an apple. Jesus was baptized by Moses. Jezebel was Ahab's donkey. The four Gospels were Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Uh, as he discovered his point, as he talked to these students. Sadly enough, they were not exposed to the Bible. And it is in the Bible we learn about God and how he pursues us. Of his love for mankind and what he did in order to reach us. That's what the Bible is about. And you can miss Bible facts and still go on. And maybe it won't crush your life. But there is something you better not miss. And that's the one we have come to worship today. His name is Jesus Christ. And there are many things about him that are really hard to understand. I get it. Uh, when Lydia was four years old, uh, Lydia and Abby, her husband, are here today. So grateful for that. They're here with us this Christmas. Um, when Lydia was four, she said, you know, my memory, I think she said it to her mom. I don't think it was me. Cindy's going like this, so I, I know that's what happened. So anyway, she said, God must really love him, or Jesus must really love himself. I'm like, yes, honey, what do you mean? He's his own daddy. Whew. A little too deep for this preacher. There are certainly some misconceptions about who Jesus is that are floating around all among us, and it is a critical question. Dan Brown, in his book a few years ago called The Da Vinci Code, became a bestseller and has sold over 80 million copies. Guys, that's a lot, of, a lot of books sold. In it, he took some theories about Jesus. He, he took some truths from the Gnostic Gospels, and he repackaged this into a novel. Uh, some of the things that came out in the novel... Jesus was never crucified, that he lived the rest of his life south of France with his wife, Mary Magdalene, and that they raised a large family. In fact, he claimed the bloodline of Jesus was traced through the dynasty of French kings. Eighty million people have been reading this, and although it's stated as a novel, so often people get confused even when they read fantasy fiction, a novel. Barbara Fearing was a longtime Australian professor who has since died. Um, she was best known for her work on the Dead Sea Scrolls. She wrote a best-selling book entitled Jesus the Man. She said that Jesus was an Essene priest who were uh, normally found in the desert. Um, she said that he had been crucified in between Simon the Magician and Judas Iscariot, <laughs> that he survived when one of his followers slipped him some snake venom that knocked him out but didn't kill him, just rendered him unconscious, and he would later awake. He would marry his closest disciple, Mary Magdalene, but later he would divorce her and marry Lydia of Philippi. Lydia was a big thing, I think, yeah. Uh, and, and then after traveling with his friend Paul, yeah, that's the Apostle Paul, as we know, 
Jesus wandered around the Mediterranean and died in obscurity. Man, these are some mixed up facts that do not jive or gel with the scriptures, with the Bible. And even in the scriptures, this question was asked, and it's such an important question. Who is Jesus? Um, In Matthew 21, verse 10, Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and it says, all the city was stirred, and they said, who is this? Uh, In Luke chapter 5, verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees, as they listen to Jesus, they're stunned as they hear him speak, and they ask, who is this man? After Jesus stilled the storm at sea, the disciples look at each other and they ask this question, who then is this who commands the winds and the water to obey him? That's Luke 8, verse 25. You see, you, you can fail this quiz that we just looked at, and you can still make what make it to heaven and still make what matters most which is a right relationship with God which is forgiveness which is what we were created for this morning as we look in the gospel of John you're looking at the guy who ended up being the last survivor of the disciples his brother had been executed he'd been beheaded Um, Peter leader of the 12 he ended up by tradition being crucified upside down because he said i'm not worthy to be crucified like my lord paul was executed by nero the emperor of rome john outlived them he ended up on an island after they had tried to kill him by boiling him to death and he didn't die there he had his vision book of revelation that we have but also attributed to him is the gospel of john here here's a man he is later in life he has faced much suffering and and oftentimes when people are near the end of their life if they have any secrets if there's anything that's really drilled into their hearts they want to share it they want the truth to come out Uh, we hear about people having deathbed confessions uh, just a few that I found. Um, one was about a, a nurse who had a patient with a terminal disease, and the patient confessed to killing his twin brother in Vietnam so that he could blame the death of his on the war, steal his identity, and then return to the U.S. to spend the rest of his life with his brother's wife. To which would be confessed near the end of this man's life. And at first they thought, oh, this is just dementia. And yet they, the patient's daughter ended up finding a handwritten confession written decades ago stuffed into his Bible. Uh, another one, an aunt watched her elderly mother fall down the stairs and she confessed just before she died that she was not the biological mother. <laughs> um, the oldest sister, her oldest sister actually was. But in those days, uh, they didn't want to be shamed by such an event. So she grew up believing that her aunt was really her mother, and she wasn't. And then finally, 
a story of a great-grandmother, nearly 100 years old, who all her life, seemingly, had collected owls. I mean, she, she had thousands of these owl figurines. She had owl clocks, wall hangings, potholders, lamps, stained glass art, salt shakers, everything you could imagine depicting owls. This lady said, we wondered the importance of the owls. She never talked about it, so we never knew. <laughs> we just knew she loved them. So at 98, 99, she died. Just before she died, she gave a confession. He said, is there any final words you want to say? And she said, yes. She said, I never understood the owls. So she never <laughs> got what all the big deal was about all these owls that were given to her. In the Gospel of John, as we get near the end of the book of John, John shares his heart. He shares the deep love of his life, his passion, his purpose. Um, so it, from the scriptures here in, in verse 25 of uh, chapter 20, I believe it says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose even the world itself would not contain the books which were written therein. So he says, didn't write everything that Jesus did. He didn't list every act of Jesus, every word that he said. Uh, in verses 20, 30, and 31, it says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So what he said here is, what I wrote is not comprehensive. It is not a listing of every detail of Jesus' words and his miracles and his actions. It may not be comprehensive, but it is conclusive. Why I wrote this is because I wanted you to believe Jesus is the Christ. He's the hope of the world. He's the Messiah. He's the one we have all so desperately been waiting for. And so he, he didn't hold back his life, his passion, his purpose. Matter of fact, that's what our text today is actually about. That, that was near the end of the book of John, but he starts out in John chapter 1, these first three verses, making a clear statement. But let me tell you as I begin who Jesus is. So... First, I want us to notice that he is eternally equal with God the Father. He's God the Father. They're the same person of the same essence. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, if any of you here maybe haven't read this before, and you say, well, who's the Word here? Well, drop down to verse 14 of the chapter, and here's what's said. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. He is God. The Father and the Son are the same, equal in nature. In the New World Translation, which is the translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses, 
the first two segments of this text, verse 1, uh, they agree with, but not the third. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and they say, and the Word was a God. Why? Because uh, there is not the word for qualifier of a or the. There, there is no word there in that translation. And so they just assume <laughs> that it is not the, but the translation is a God or any God. Of course, the problem is when you say the word was a God, it carries on in the rest of the passage. You would have to say in verse 6, there came a man sent from a God. In verse 12, we would have to say, yet as many has received him to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of a God or of any God. And yet in verse 14, we said that he came, the word came in the flesh. He was not merely a God, but the representation here is the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ, God Himself, taking on human flesh. Thus, He is God and He is man. He is the hope of the world. He is not merely a God. He is not many of many gods. He is God Himself, the God. Secondly, uh, in regard to that too, is the how this is translated in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God that's exact translation so it's a concept of the divine trinity and how do we understand something so beyond our ability to comprehend that God is three in one Oh, in chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 26, check this out. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And God created him. Male and female, he created them. Let us. God is described here in plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. There is a perfect harmony in these relationships that exist and have always existed. And guys, it is about relationship. We want a right relationship with the people that we love. I re when our relationships are right, life is right. Man, when I go on a vacation, I don't want to go by myself. I want to go with Cindy. Or I want to go with, with family as well. People that I love because it's the relationships that make it good. That make it right. And we have an example of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who have perfect harmony in relationships, who depicted what it was like to really get along, <laughs> to really love one another. The power of those relationships. I love it. Uh, the One commentator said it this way. The Trinity is not one plus one plus one equals three, <laughs> but one times one times one equals one God. He goes on, just as our one universe is triune, space, matter, and time, just as matter is triune, energy, motion, phenomena, just as time itself exists in triunity, past, present, future, just as mankind is arguably triune, body, soul, spirit, 
So God, the creator of all there is, exists in perfect communion and triune relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Say, you lost me, preacher. Well, I'm lost too. I can't fully explain God three in one. It's like uh, St. Augustine, or Augustine, hope pronounced both ways. Uh, he went to the beach one day. He saw a little boy who had a little shovel and his pail, and he would dig a hole, run out to the water, fill his bucket up, run, and put it in the hole. And so he asked him, uh, what are you doing? And his response was, I'm pouring the sea into this hole in the sand. The vastness of the sea cannot fit in the hole. And my little brain cannot totally fathom the greatness of our God. But thankfully, me understanding God is not what is required for me receiving God. He understands me even when I don't fully understand Him. And He understands I need Him. And He wants me to understand that. And He wants me to respond to that. The verb here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That word was is the imperfect tense in the Greek, and it expresses an ongoing state. It could be translated this way. In the beginning was and is and always will be the Word. And the Word was and is and always will be with God. And the Word was and is and always will be The word is actually logos. <laughs> and the logos could just as easily be translated to mean the explanation of God. You say, well, who is God? How do we understand God? What is my purpose in life? Why, why am I here and I feel so lost. I feel so sinful. What does my existence even mean? How can I find forgiveness? Is it possible to meet God? Is it possible to discover God? The Lagos. He is the explanation of God. You want to know God, what He looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to meet God? <laughs> Cry out to Jesus. You want to see what God is like? Read in the scriptures the accounts of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luther, no Luke, I'm just kidding with you. Luke and John. Read those biographies of Jesus Christ and you will see God. You will see the character, the personality of God because Jesus, he is God. And if you want to know what God is like, know Jesus. Jesus loves you, that's why he came. And it's always blown my mind to think that he would come so vulnerable as a baby, dependent on other people. And yet he did not do anything for his own convenience. Even as he grew and even as he started his ministry, he was the servant. And he came for a reason, to die. Why did he come to die? 
because guys, that's the only way we can really live is through His. So as we think about Christmas, man, what is the reason for Christmas? What is the explanation for Christmas? What's Christmas really about? The Lagos, Jesus Christ. He is the explanation of what this day, well, this is actually Christmas Eve, tomorrow, is about. God came. He heard our cries. He knows our hearts. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we need forgiveness. He knows everything about us. And the reason we celebrate, we know later at Easter when we celebrate, it's the cross. He dies for us. But, but the fact, he came. He's headed to the cross, but he comes. And that's what it's about, guys. And if we miss him, we might miss some stuff about the Bible. So I hate playing Bible trivia because as a preacher, I'm supposed to know all the Bible trivia. Sometimes I miss that stuff. But you know what? Thanks be to God, I haven't missed Jesus. My prayer is, Lord, help me miss him. I want to have a prayer if God's spoken to you. I invite you to come. love to talk with you and pray with you. And also during that time, uh, we have an offering to bring. So if that's all right, let's pray. God, we thank you for this great day. Christmas Eve is just around the corner. We celebrate the fact you came. And Father, may we not miss that. Lord, I, I pray that if there's anybody here that's looking for the explanation of why I'm, why I'm here, the reason for life itself, Jesus. <laughs> Father, may we respond to you. May we say yes to you this day. And may we celebrate you, O oh God. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. Christ's name we pray.